In early May, Farmland Partners, a Colorado-headquartered farmland REIT, celebrated the end of an appeal period for a class-action lawsuit from a group of its shareholders it had faced since 2018. That year, an article was published on the Seeking Alpha blog by an author writing under the pseudonym Rota Fortune, or Greek for Wheel of Fortune, alleging improper lending and disclosures by FPI. The article led to a nearly 40% drop in Farmland Partners' New York Stock Exchange-traded stock, and subsequent litigation cost the firm significant resources while diverting time and attention and sapping employee morale. The case against Farmland Partners ultimately fell apart in June 2021, when the blogger, later revealed to be Dallas-based investment advisor Quinton Matthews, admitted to profiting from false statements and ties with SaberPoint Capital, a Dallas-headquartered investment firm that had already taken a short position in Farmland Partners stock when it hired Matthews to research and write about the company in May 2018. The admission has also cleared the way for Farmland Partners to begin turning the page as it looks to supplement its public business with a new unit managing private capital led by Murray Wise, a pioneer of institutional farmland management. In this episode of Spotlight, we hear from Farmland Partners founder Paul Pittman on his experience managing private and public capital in farmland markets and the early lessons from the Rota Fortune affair. I'm Chris Janik with AgriInvestor. First of all, thank you very much for doing this. I think for many of our readers and listeners, you're already somebody who's very familiar to them, but maybe one way to start is just ask for you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Farmland Partners. Sure. I'm Paul Pittman, and I'm the chairman and chief executive officer of Farmland Partners. It's uh, New York Stock Exchange listed. FPI is the ticker symbol. What we are is a REIT that owns farmland all across the United States. We uh, have a very diverse portfolio. We're in about 19 different states, own around a billion four of farmland around the United States. Can you characterize your experience running a public company from the time between 2014 when you were first listed and July 2018? You know, one of the reasons that we went public is that for many investors, particularly if you don't know and understand farmland, accessing the asset class is difficult. And by putting the asset class in a public wrapper, which is what the REIT really is, it made it easy to buy the stock. It's a very simple and easy way to invest in farmland. It gave you the ability to make an investment of a few hundred or a few thousand dollars instead of millions of dollars to buy an entire farm. You know, we thought it was a, a great advantage to the market, and it has proven to be. Our investors have daily liquidity in a farmland asset. You know, that's a very good thing and a unique thing in terms of investing in farmland where you normally don't have daily liquidity. The disadvantage, though, comes from exactly the same place. That daily liquidity gives an opportunity for the market to move up and down dramatically. Uh, I think yesterday, for example, our stock price went down to something like 5%. Well, the underlying farmland didn't change in value yesterday, but once we're listed in the public market, we become correlated with the public market, whereas farmland as a standalone asset is, is not very correlated with the public market. The challenge that you have, at least for us, is that this is an asset class, farmland, where about a third of your total return is current yield, meaning the rents that you collect that you can then distribute to your shareholders. But about two-thirds of the return to farmland, the underlying asset class, comes from appreciation. And in most REITs, 
appreciation is not a major piece of the story. It's more about current yield and cash flow. So one of the struggles we face with the market is to get them to understand that there's a total return and they need to price the stock and think about the asset class on a total return basis not just on a current yield basis. I don't know if you can give me a little bit of backdrop sort of on at what point in the day on July 11th, 2018, you understood something different was happening and maybe give just kind of a a broad backdrop as to what was happening that day. So that morning uh, I was on a farm and, you know, there's a negative article that comes out about the company. I don't remember exactly how I heard even now, but in a news source or something, I was aware that there was a negative article about the company. But look, when you run a public company, people write negative things about your company and you all the time. Few of them, frankly, stick. But, you know, you're, you're kind of used to it. It's not a, not a big deal. But after the article came out, we started to see our stock price just collapse into really high volume. So it put us on alert that this was more than just a normal sort of give and take an exchange of information in the public domain about a public company. And by the end of that day, we had dropped 40% and traded something over 7 million shares. Now, that's in the context of a background trading activity that might have been a couple hundred thousand shares a day. So we knew by late in the day something very special, uh, negative and special had happened to us. And, but we just didn't really know, know exactly what yet. Now, at the time, I read through the blog post and some of the subsequent litigation, and the way I summarized it was to say that they were alleging improper disclosure of a lending program. Uh, you know, I know that there's also some question as to the categorization of certain types of employees, but I don't know if from where we sit now, is there a succinct way for you to describe the substantive response from Farmland Partners' perspective to the content of the allegations made by Mr. Matthews? We looked at that article. You know, some of it's just innuendo and nastiness, but some of it made some very specific allegations about what the company was doing and, and the improper disclosure that we were doing. And we essentially denied all of that. Now, our stock dropped 40% that day. So we have two different things going on. We have a pursuit of the bad guys, and we also then get sued by a group of our shareholders represented by class action lawyers because people lost a lot of money. We litigated both of those things. And about a month ago on the class action side, the federal court ruled that the company had done nothing wrong that no jury could find that there was any evidence that we had done improper filings, misled our investors, made, you know, related party loans without proper disclosure, that there was nothing there. It was expensive to get there, but that is the ultimate vindication that the company was run properly and acting properly, and that the entire short and distort article was false. But the second thing that's happened is Rota Fortune in the summer of 2021 came out and admitted that uh, in a settlement with us that he had made this stuff up, 
that there was no truth to the positions that he had put forward. Do you think that there's room for regulators to act here? My perspective on this is that, you know, the regulators have a little bit of a hard job to do, right? The concept of shorting stocks is a, you know, completely appropriate process in the context of the way a market like the public stock markets should work. You know, that a stock market is a price discovery mechanism. That's that's what it is. And and you know, you got people who want to buy and you got people who want to sell. Shorting is really a version of selling. And that's you know, driving you to hopefully a reasonably accurate discovery of price in the marketplace at that time. So this is not an anti-shorting situation. It's not our company, FPI, doesn't advocate that we're against shorting. We're against market manipulation. So back to the regulators, it's really, I think, in some ways a little difficult for them to, to see and discern the difference between legitimate shorting activity and market manipulation. But I don't want to let them off the hook. You know, that's their job to find the difference and to stamp out one, but not the other. In November of 2021, you guys acquired a, a company called Murray Wise Associates, which I understood as, you know, in part an initiative on the part of your company to also get involved in private markets, farmland activity through an individual, you know, a name who I had heard of for years because of his history in, in having founded Westchester previously. I, you know, I don't know if there's anything to sort of say about the sort of move into private markets and the fact that it's coming, uh, you know, as you're sort of going through or coming towards the end of, you know, this pretty difficult experience that is directly related to being the public company. What we're trying to accomplish with the Murray Wise acquisition, and it, it appears to be working well for us, is we want to be a bit of a one-stop shop for someone who thinks about investing in farmland. And, you know, my way of thinking is if, if what you want is maximum liquidity, uh, you want the public market wrapper, we offer you an opportunity to invest in, in farmland through a public market security. And the real advantage there is that liquidity. You know, if you would like a private fund vehicle, we advise a private fund in the Opportunity Zone area, which is a you know, very tax-efficient investment structure. That is another opportunity that we offer to investors, and you know that's one another way to invest in farmland. And then finally, what Murray Wise offers, and in my way of thinking, this is a really good way to invest in farmland, is if you've got enough scale as an investor you should consider buying a farm directly. And that's what Murray Wise helps people do is they own an individual farm. They you know, can hire Murray Wise or somebody else to manage it. Murray Wise, of course, helps them acquire it in the first place. Given you've just experienced one of the nightmare scenarios a public company might face, is there a single takeaway you can share about the whole experience? The reason we survived is number one, we didn't do anything wrong. But number two, we had hard assets. And to any other company that faces this, you know, the first comment I would make is if you haven't done something wrong, don't take the easy way out and just settle it. All right. If you're the managers of a public company, your reputation is worth a lot of value. And it seems like in the heat of the moment, the easy out. But when you settle something like this, 
Some investors just think of it as the way the world works, but I actually don't think you should kid yourself. Many investors look at it as at least an admission of some wrongdoing. Nobody hands $5 million over to somebody if they don't think they did anything wrong, or at least that's a perception, even if not a correct one, that people would have. So we really believe we did the right thing fighting this. We, we frankly hope more companies will do it because that's what it's going to take. That again was Farmland Partners founder Paul Pittman. Sabre Point Capital declined to participate in the podcast, and Quinton Matthews did not respond to messages seeking further detail. If you enjoyed this episode of Spotlight, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts, or check us out on any of PEI Media's various titles online. I'm Chris Janik with Agri Investor, and thanks for listening.